0: Ed Flash
1: A group of senators demanding Amazon address alleged mistreatment of their delivery drivers. Meanwhile, another Wells Fargo branch goes union. And today on the show, the latest from the Ohio Federation of Teachers and California Representative Ro Khanna. Welcome to the Tuesday, January 16th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Spotify and Pandora. Melissa Cropper will be our first guest on the show today. She serves as president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, OH.AFT.ORG. She is also the secretary treasurer of the Ohio AFL-CIO. And she is going to continue on her mission of organizing. And they're doing a great job in central Ohio. The Grandview Heights Public Library United Union ratified their first union contract at the end of last month. And this is the second public library system in Central Ohio that has ratified a first union contract. And, and it comes on the heels of the Pickerington Public Library, another Central Ohio library, overwhelmingly winning their union election in November with 92% voting yes this is all posted on their website we're also gonna delve into uh, the tone-deaf politicians not just in the state of Ohio in a lot of states but even after Ohio told politicians last year to leave medical decisions to families and medical providers well The lawmakers just aren't listening. We're going to talk about House Bill 68, a bill that passed through the state legislature in mid-December banning gender-affirming care for transgender youth and prohibiting sports participation for trans youth. The OFT, along with many other organizations and thousands of Ohioans, encouraged the governor to veto the bill and Just about a week and a half ago, the governor proposed restrictive rules through Ohio's administrative code that would have serious implications for not only transgender youth, but also for existing parents, including adults. Also, we're gonna talk technology. Last week, the AFL-CIO held its fifth annual Labor Innovation and Technology Summit, concurrently with the Consumer Electronics Show convention in Las Vegas. Now, this was intentionally held at the same time as a way to think about how to handle technology and artificial intelligence in the workplace. So we'll touch on all of that and more. Ro Khanna, who we featured on the show maybe about two months ago, will be rejoining us today. And he is a representative of California's 17th district. He, too, is going to talk about uh, artificial intelligence and reference a piece that he wrote for the New York Times, where he said, technologies, our technologies are meant to complement and enhance human initiative, not exploit it. He is of the opinion that we must push for workers to have a decision-making role in how and when to adopt technologies, and we must insist on workers profiting from the implementation of these technologies that is very very significant if you are going to embrace those and make more money why not share in the wealth roe is quoted as saying our generational task is to ensure that ai is a tool for lessening the vast disparities of wealth an opportunity that plague us not exacerbating them he is uh, He's a bright star in Congress, no doubt about that. Um, he represents California's 17th Congressional District, which is the Silicon Valley area. He serves right now in his uh, fourth term. He's on the House Armed Services Committee, ranking member of the subcommittees on Cyber Innovative Technologies and Information Systems, co-chair of the Congressional Caucus on India and Indian Americans, member of the Select Committee, on the strategic competition between the United States and the Chinese Communist Party. He has worked across the aisle to deliver on legislation to invest in science and technology, creating millions of good-paying tech jobs, revitalizing American manufacturing and production. Last time we had him on the show, he talked about uh, his new economic patriotism, and that's his plan to strengthen American manufacturing. I'll tell you, in the first segment, by the way we recorded this last week when they had the hearings on uh, on hunter biden and <laughs> he had to be called away from the interview to vote on that it was crazy you'll hear that later in the show but um he is uh he is pro worker and pro union strong supporter of the labor movement and his push for policies like the pro act to ensure that no one With a full-time job, needs to rely on food stamps, housing vouchers, or other welfare. He's also one of only a few members of Congress to refuse contributions from PACs and lobbyists. He also supports a 12-year term for members of Congress, 18 years for justices on the Supreme Court. Yeah, I tell you, very far-reaching. And uh, another thing that he's going to talk about is this uh, buyout. This merger with U.S. Steel and Nippon Steel of uh, Japan. They paid a whole lot of money for U.S. Steel. And there are many, including Roe, that feel, you know what? This is an issue of national security. It's not right. And on top of it, you think about the Bipartisan Infrastructure and Jobs Act, where we're pushing for American steel. Now it's Japanese steel. And their collective bargaining (laughs) is not acceptable if there's any of that on the table right now. So Ro Khanna will be our second guest to wrap up today's show. Now a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. A bipartisan group of 29 senators, including 25 Democrats, one independent and three Republicans, have sent a letter to Amazon CEO Andy Jassy probing allegations of mistreatment of delivery drivers. The Senators focused on Amazon's Delivery Service Partner Program, which was established in 2018, where entrepreneurs launch independent delivery businesses in partnership with Amazon. Now, the letter highlights concerns that Amazon, while exerting control over drivers' wages and working conditions, avoids legal responsibility through a network of supposedly independent delivery service partners. The senators point to reports suggesting that this system puts a very heavy toll on drivers, often forcing them to work in extreme conditions without appropriate safety measures. They also note possible violations of the labor relations act, including issues related to union recognition, bargaining, and allegations of retaliation against delivery workers involved with union activities. So once again, you're seeing another chip at the block here, the block being Amazon, a giant one at that slowly, but surely they're looking into their employment practices. We'll see what happens on this one. It's good that they have a bipartisan group. Wells Fargo employees, At a Daytona Beach branch in Florida, voted four to one to join the Communication Workers of America's Wells Fargo Workers United, making it the second branch to join the union after a location in Albuquerque, New Mexico, joined in December. We talked about this on the show last week with uh, Frank Matthews. That was our Tuesday show last week, and it looked like they were going to go, and sure enough, they did. The vote in Daytona Beach adds momentum to the broader campaign to unionize Wells Fargo, the first major U.S. bank facing a union drive. Wells Fargo workers across the country have been advocating for improved wages and working conditions, curbing aggressive sales tactics, and addressing other violations within the bank. A branch in Atwater, California, is scheduled for a vote later this week, this Thursday. And employees there have filed an unfair labor practice claim against Wells Fargo, alleging coercive activities by supervisors. The unfair labor practice is one of nine now against Wells Fargo at branches and call centers nationwide, with the bank settling two of them. A petition for a union vote has also been filed by Wells Fargo employees at a Wilmington, Delaware branch with the election yet to be scheduled there. So uh, they're on the move. They're on the move, no doubt about that. One more here, and this has to deal with CEO pay, which, as you know, has been outrageous. On average, it's about maybe 300, 350 times that of an average worker. Well, Apple CEO Tim Cook received a pay cut in the company's latest fiscal year following shareholder guidance and a recommendation from Mr. Cook himself. His annual compensation package hit $63.2 million after rising to $99.4 million during the 2022 fiscal year for the fiscal year ending September 30th. Mr. Cook's target compensation dropped to 49 million, down more than 40% from the 2022 target compensation. As a result, his performance-based stock awards rose to 75%. So his compensation went down, but the stock went up. I don't know if he's going to be able to make it on that that 49 million dollars you know it's it's tough times with all this inflation today i don't know poor guy all right quick break when we come back melissa cropper on behalf of the ohio federation of teachers
0: this is america's workforce more shows available at awfradio.com
2: it takes Layuna to build north america's infrastructure
1: Learn more at AFGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL CIO. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Iron workers. You can find more at Ironworkers.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council six, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org.
0: This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit Survey and Ballot to learn more.
1: America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at CWA-union.org.
0: Now, back to Ed Flash Farrance with America's Workforce.
1: And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, and that would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency. You can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go to uh, Columbus, Ohio right now and join one of our longtime regulars and sponsors, That would be Melissa Cropper on behalf of the Ohio Federation of Teachers. She serves as president, oh.aft.org. Do check out that website. Lots of information posted there, especially about the, the good year of organizing last year in libraries. But first and foremost, we're going to talk about the legislature in the state of Ohio, which seems to be tone deaf when it comes to what the public wants and what they're getting from their politicians, Melissa. I'm going to turn this over to you, and let's uh, let's zero in on House Bill 68, which garnered a whole lot of media attention, uh, not just in the state of Ohio but nationally. And uh, on top of that, I want to talk about uh, what you see uh, this year in the legislature, especially when it comes to vouchers and that kind of thing. But talk to me about 68. Go ahead.
3: Well, 68, uh, there are two parts of 68, probably more than that, but the two basic parts were that uh, it um, banned – certain types of treatments for children who are considered transgender and took away the right to parents to make decisions for children on whether to have surgeries or pursue some other type of medication, etc. And then it also um, prevented transgender students from playing on sports teams that were opposite of the of the, the sex that they were born with. So um, it did those two things. The governor, uh, you know, you don't always hear me say a lot of great things about the governors. We don't see eye to eye on a lot of stuff. But I really appreciated his approach on this. When the bill came to him, you know, passed through the legislature and came to him, he actually took the time to talk to some doctors, talk to parents and children who had gone through this and pretty much made the, uh, made the determination that, you know, this was parents' rights to choose uh, what types of treatments they had for their children that it wasn't the place of the legislature or the government to do that, so he vetoed the bill. Um, And then the legislature turned around and on party-line votes, uh, overrode that veto, Um, and so made it uh, so that transgender parents cannot make the decision to have treatments for their children to transition. So, as you said, uh, kind of, not kind of, very tone-deaf. You know, we've we've seen in this state that people very much... um, Believe in the rights of individuals to make decisions about their bodies. We saw that in November. Uh, we saw that in August when when the legislature tried to uh, change our constitu- how we do constitutional amendments. I right. think this is another case where we're talking about what happens to a person's body and who has control of a person's body. And the legislature stepped in and said, "We're going to tell you how you handle your body and how you handle your child's body." And it's just it's it's really. It's really, I mean, it's worse than just a shame. It's a travesty, really. It's really a travesty what the legislature is doing right now.
1: So essentially we've got politicians calling the shots on what uh, parents should be doing in in their own exactly. household, correct?
3: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the same legislature screams parents' rights all the time. Parents' rights to choose what books we have in our library. You know, <laughs> you know, we're going to censor books because we don't like some of these books. So again, I don't even call that parents' rights. It's, it's, it's again, catering to a small group of people. Who want to impose their view of morality on the rest of the rest of us here? Mm-hmm. And what really upsets me about this is that um, what happens to these children, and the large scheme of things, to the rest of us matters so very little to the rest of us. It's not our lives; it doesn't impact us in any way at all. But to those people who are actually experiencing this, it means a lot. It means I mean, it's impacting their lives. Uh, and there's so few. Like when you talk about the, the sports situation, six transgender athletes in the state of Ohio. Out of 1.7 million students, we have six. And they're spending time in the legislature fighting over these six students. But you know, sports is one thing. But what actually happens to these children's bodies? Uh, when you hear the stories of these children and what they go through already, um, the fact that we're spending so much time, the legislature is spending so much time Um, Doing something, like I said, impacts the rest of us in no way at all but has such a huge, huge impact on these individuals. It's just really sad, and the fact that they're not listening to these individuals and what they have to say. Um, The fact that they've made um, children's lives, and not just children, there's adults this impacts too, but made the lives of so few people of political football uh, without thinking of the implications that has on those individuals. Um, It's very, very personal and very, very dangerous and uh, i think it's something we should all be concerned about uh, because we're again we're talking about the rights of individuals to choose over what happens to their own bodies or the bodies of their children
1: i didn't realize it was just six six individuals out of mm-hmm. 1.7 million wow wow what uh, what else is on tap in the legislature for this year melissa
3: well, right now they're so worried about primaries. You know, these the Republicans are, are having a lot of battles in the primaries that there's not um, a whole lot happening at the State House. Uh, there will still be some more of this uh, transgender stuff that happens because, like I said, that's the political football they can use for their primary. Uh, but beyond that, we're going we're gonna to be seeing, you know, we'll have the capital budget this year, uh, so we'll see you know what they want to do with public funds. We're watching very closely. Uh, We saw the expanded vouchers last year. Our concern now in the capital budget is are they going to now allow public dollars to be used to build private schools or to make enhancements to private schools So, be a further extension of public dollars going for private use. So that will be one big thing we're really watching closely. Um, And then we're still watching what they want to do around um, Senate Bill 83 That's the higher education bill that's been out there that we've been battling over for a long time. Um, Again, I think nothing will happen before the primaries, but after primaries are over, it will be interesting if they try to move that bill again or if they try to uh, attach it to something else that's moving and and kind of slide it through, which, of course, we'll all be watching, but we know the kind of tricks that they play there. But the higher ed bills we talked about before, is the one that also limits what can be collectively bargained. So it's a huge attack, not just on our college professors, um, on what they teach, but also their ability to be able to bargain their contracts. So we're watching that very, very closely.
1: We should point out, too, that primary is just two months away. It's going to be on March 19th in the state of Ohio. All right, Melissa, we'll keep our eye on that one. Right now, though, let's switch gears and talk about organizing. And the best part is winning a first contract. And we're talking about Grandview Heights Public Library. Talk to me about this. one. I'm sure you're pretty excited.
3: Very excited! Very excited! Um, as people who are listening may know, you know, winning win, winning an election is incredibly hard, but getting that first contract can also can sometimes be harder. So every time we get a first contract, it's like a double celebration. Um, in Grandview Heights, the public library, we just got a first contract right around the right around the holiday time, so they came back to the new year working under a contract. Um, just is huge for them. Uh, it has, a, you know, extends some parental leave for them, uh, sets up labor management committees, provides some health and safety protections, and um, provided for a twelve percent raise through the life of the contract. So again, these are people who have never had a contract before, and we're really pleased that they not only got a first contract but it, it, it was a high quality first contract. So it wasn't just getting your basics in there and saying, Hey, down the road, we'll try to fix the rest. They've really got some important protections and some um, important benefits included in this first contract. So we're very, very excited about that.
1: And, and the organizing continues here. Talk to me about the uh, Pickerington public library. I always have a tough time reading that, but apparently really. they, uh, they're, they're going union, right?
3: Yes. They, they, uh, they've, Won their election right before the holiday break, so again another library. We just we keep uh, we keep getting more and more interest from libraries, and uh, very excited again to talk about every time we get an election win or a contract in our libraries because uh, we hope that other librarians, other library workers, see that uh, and see what we're able to do for them. So yeah, Pickerington won their election. As did Columbus College, Morton Design. We had two union elections right before the holidays. Uh, but you know, I, I I can't remember if I've said this on the show before. I probably have because it means so much to me. But I was a, I was a library. I started working in a library when I was a freshman in high school, and did that up until I was a sophomore in college, um, and then uh, later in my career. Uh, I went back and got my library endorsement on my teaching certificate, so was a school librarian for 14 years before I started this job. So I just get really, really excited when we do the organizing get First Contracts in libraries, because libraries have been such an important part of my life and an important part of my children's lives as they came up through library preschool programs. So as you can see, I get really pumped when we, when we do this work in libraries.
1: It's been a good year, especially organizing in libraries. It's been a good year for all of labor last year, 2023, and and many are saying it's going to continue into this year. In fact, it's happening. We're
3: still seeing a lot of interest um, from people wanting to organize, and um, hopefully we're going to have some more elections coming up very soon. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who are seeing the benefits of unions, and, and it's time for us all to take you know, to, to take the bull by the horns and say, join us in this uh, collective battle we're in to make sure that workers have rights.
1: Absolutely. One more issue here, artificial intelligence. And uh, just about a week ago, the AFL-CIO held their fifth annual Labor Innovation and Technology Summit, which was held at the same time the Consumer Electro- Electronics Show was going on. In Las Vegas. And this is something that everybody, in fact, Ro Khanna, we're going to talk to him later in the show about this because he feels if you're going to use artificial intelligence and make more money, well, then the workers should share in the profits. So I'd like to get your take on this, especially in the teaching profession. How do uh, how's this shaping out?
3: Well, I very much like that perspective and very much agree with that perspective. Uh, we were fortunate to have uh, Labor, Secretary of Labor Julie Su join us also for part of part of, the, of our conference. And she made a couple of really good points that are in line with that. Uh, one is that as we think about AI and how it's impacting us, we should be thinking about instead of you we know, get accused of being scared of technology, uh, accused of trying to shut down technology, what we really are looking at is how do we – how do we use the advances in technology to increase productivity so that we can get the same amount of work done and lesser hours for the same or more pay. That, incru- that improves people's work-life balance. I mean, imagine a world where instead of having to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, we can get the same amount of work done in 25 or 30 hours a week and we have that extra, those extra hours to spend with our family. Or to get some sleep so when we are with our families we have quality time with our families. That's kind of how we're looking at technology and about artificial intelligence. Another thing is how do we how do we push the industry? How do we push those who are using AI to use it to solve some of the real problems that people are facing? So we see AI using used, used a lot now um, to to um, you know to create wonderful things like better video games or, or um, more efficient. Uh, appliances or things like that, but how do we actually use it to solve some of the problems we have around hunger, housing, et cetera, and force the industry in that way. So, again, in education, uh, we're trying to be on the front end and to look at how do things like chat GPI impact our students? Um, how do we use things like artificial intelligence to, as, again, as a tool to enhance our teaching instead of being replaced? Uh, we always want to make sure that the human element isn't taken out of work, especially work like teaching, nursing, uh, and things where just interaction with the public. We always want to keep the human at the center of the work and use the artificial intelligence as a way to enhance the work and not replace workers. Um, this particular summit was incredibly interesting because it's co-hosted by SAG-AFTRA. So there was a lot of representation there from SAG-AFTRA and the uh, Writers Guild and IATSE because artificial intelligence is certainly having a huge impact in the entertainment industry. I think they're kind of on the forefront of seeing how it can replace workers. Mm-hmm. And hearing from them and learning from them helps us think about what could it possibly do for, for each of us other labor unions in, in our sectors and how do, we, how do we get on the front end of it learning from what they've learned
1: lot to consider as we move forward in 2024. Melissa Cropper, president of the Ohio Federation of Teachers, OH.AFT.ORG. Check them out on Facebook at OFT Union and uh, also on Twitter or actually X. <laughs> okay, we're going to leave <laughs> it on that note. Melissa, you take care. We'll talk to you next month, okay?
3: Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: All right, quick break. Ro Khanna. Representative out of California coming up next.
0: You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens.
2: It takes Layuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities... LIUNA members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by LIUNA at LIUNA.org. That's LIUNA.org.
1: Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages local 50 also provides medical vision and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family don't miss out on the chance to secure your future join us at insulators local 50 earn great pay and the best benefits visit insulators50.com forward slash awf50 to fill out the online form and a local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org.
4: America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils.
1: America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org.
3: America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd-Waterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWaterson.com.
1: This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org.
0: Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferrens. And don't forget, you can check
1: us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go to uh, line number two. And joining us from Washington right now is a gentleman, a representative of our Congress. We had him on a couple months back. We wanted to talk to him about uh, the latest session of Congress. Ro Khanna is his name, and he's a representative in California's 17th district, which is pretty much the uh, Silicon Valley area. The last time we had him on the show, he was talking about the new economic patriotism plan that he put together. We'll touch on that and see if that's going anywhere. But right now, Ro, welcome back to the show. Happy New Year to you. And I'm just wondering, well... Congress just got back to work, and there's a lot of work to do. I'm just wondering, is this one, is this session any different? You've been in Congress for seven years now. I'm sure you're scratching your head, probably wondering, I don't know if this is the direction I wanted to go in life, but talk to me about it. How you feeling, buddy?
4: Well, this morning I spent four hours in the oversight hearing watching people debate whether Hunter Biden should testify in public or whether he should testify behind closed doors and every member of Congress felt compelled to give a five minute statement of their opinion. And I'm sitting there thinking, is this what the American people sent us for? I mean, don't they want us to figure out how to bring manufacturing back to create good jobs, to lower their cost of living. And here we are four hours talking about the circus. So, uh, in days like this you, you, you realize the disconnect between the beltway uh, and ordinary people.
1: I'm glad you brought that up because there's a lot of hurt out there. You know, I mean, inflation hit us pretty hard. Things are coming back. We had problems with the supply chain, but uh, the economy, I mean, look at Wall Street. I know Main Street and Wall Street, two different things, but there's a lot of good policies that came out of this administration. We talked about that back in November. Unfortunately, that's not helping the president in the polling and all that. But uh this distraction <laughs> what you're talking about here, especially with Hunter Biden. And and I, I promise my listeners too I wouldn't talk about Hunter unless he joined a union.
0: <laughs> that's
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty much how I feel about this, because there's too much of that on. Ro, when are we gonna get back to talking about the things that Americans are really concerned about?
4: Well, I uh I don't uh think people uh Are going to uh, be compelled by the Republican circuit look if Hunter Biden was in charge of our economic policy or national security then focus on it but he's got no role in government I mean it's a total sideshow and you know what people care about is that it costs too much to pay rent it costs too much to buy a house these days you can't get a starter house Uh, we don't have enough high-paying good jobs that we used to have at the uh, before the deindustrialization, Uh, we've got all our steel, uh, still sitting in China, all the steel that's being made, 16 out of the, nine out of the 16 top steel companies. And now, by the way, it's total absurdity that we're thinking of selling U.S. steel to Nippon steel. I mean, Nippon by definition, means Japan steel. I mean, would Japan ever sell their steel company to American steel? It's like we never, never learned. Those are the things We should be talking about how to build new industry in America, new factories in America, good jobs in America, how to reduce the cost of housing, reduce the cost of childcare. Uh, Instead, you got the circus.
1: Ro, that's why you're on this show, because I talk about those very things every day on America's workforce. And I'm glad you brought up the steel thing, because the Steel Workers Union is one of our big sponsors. In fact, we had Dave McCall on after that Uh, announcement. He's great. Isn't he a great guy? He's a super guy, and he's very concerned for a number of reasons. And uh, collective bargaining—they're not very—they're not very union friendly with uh, with they're Nippon Steel.
4: They're not. And let me just explain very simply. I mean, your callers probably already know this, but the the cynicism behind the 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 strategy that uh, that that's going on—you you've got Nippon Steel that is uh, basically going to move all those jobs. They're going to close the blast furnaces in Pennsylvania. They're going to move those jobs down south. So they're not going to have union jobs. And they're probably going to buy the mini-mills, which are uh, a certain type of steel, but not the heavy-duty steel that we need for our tanks and uh, for our armored planks. And then they're going to bring that heavy-duty steel in from Japan. And so we're basically allowing a backdoor for them to use, bring the the highest quality steel in from Japan. They'll compete with Cleveland Cliffs, which is unionized, and to get rid of union jobs. And I'm thinking, how are we even considering this? This is such a no-brainer that it should be shot down. We don't need some committee to tell us we don't need more steel jobs going to Japan.
1: And especially now with the bipartisan infrastructure and jobs act, we we need steel and we want American-made steel. That's what we want right now, especially union-made steel. the The other part of this, obviously, we got the the union issue and collective bargaining. But what about national security? Don't we? Don't? Isn't that important
4: anymore, Roe? Well, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, the the steel that we need for our uh, armored plates on tanks on on ships, that, that, uh, that is stuff we should make here. We shouldn't be getting that from uh, other countries. And uh, what we've done as a country is we said, okay, we'll do the mini mill steel and that's, you know, some of the steel you can use for uh, for non-military uh, e- equipment, for for non-automobile equipment. I mean, the exteriors of automobile need the highest grade steel. And we're fine importing the other steel. And I said, H- who does that? What country, what other country? It says, uh, we'll just get steals from somewhere else. And it's, it's really our original sin. And in, in my view, which we hollowed out these communities, you go to Johnstown, you go to Warren, you go down river, Michigan. Uh, and I don't blame them for being angry at the country and wanting to just, uh, uh, have massive change in Washington. I mean, they got shafted. And I, I, and when you talk to folks there, they, they understand what happened. I mean, basically, corporations wanted to make a lot of money and we wanted the cheapest labor and we sold out uh, a lot of the industry in this nation.
1: So talk to me about what can be done about this. I, I, I know the shareholders still have to approve it and I know the steel workers want hearings and they I know they're going across the aisle too Democrats, Republicans. I, I know there's a lot of concern about this. What's the game plan. Do you, are you, what are you hearing right now about this bro?
4: Well, I, I talked to the chief of staff, Jeff Zients, and as have, uh, it's bipartisan. I mean, uh, you've had Chris Deluzio, you've had, uh, John Fetterman. I mean, frankly, you've either, you've had JD Vance and uh, people uh, on both sides of the aisle saying, let's not, uh, approve this. And there's a committee, it's called a CFIUS committee. Uh, it's led by uh, the secretary of treasury secretary of commerce. Uh, and they're, uh, looking at, uh, at this to, uh, uh, to, to, to see whether it would get approved or whether it hurts our national security uh, or whether it hurts, uh, you know, American labor. I believe that the president should just come out and say this, this deal isn't, shouldn't go through. I don't, I don't think they need to have a whole committee process. I mean, I, uh, my view is that, uh, you know, he's done so much to bring manufacturing back. He's, he gets it. He stood on a picket line. Uh, this would be a horrible thing.
1: So, so could he do that? Could, could Biden say this is not going to happen and it won't happen then?
4: I mean, he, he technically could, it's not his style, but he could certainly let it be known to his, uh, to his staff and cabinet secretaries that he's very concerned about the deal and then he could have the committee come out and, uh, and make the finding, but it's the president has the authority to, uh, to say this is an international security. And, you know, I think for anyone on the fence on this, just think, do you think there's any chance that Japan, would allow uh, Cleveland cliffs or us steel to buy up Nippon steel. There's no chance. Right. No, no way. So why are we doing it? And yeah. uh, I mean, and after all, yeah. after all this country has been through, after, after we had mm. Donald Trump and every we have Trump coming back, like you would, you would think we would have learned our lesson okay. and not not continue to insist on uh, selling out the American industry. I mean, you think people would have woken up by now.
1: Yeah, you would think. And, you know, the last time you and I talked, we talked about economic patriotism, the plan to strengthen American manufacturing. Well, this goes right against
4: that. I mean, come on. It does. <laughs> I mean, I, I've got to plan with David McCall and uh, Lorenzo and Cleveland Cliffs, we're put, putting out a bill to build new steel plants in, in uh, Lordstown, in, in Johnstown. Clean steel that could use hydrogen, they could use direct reduction impacts. One third of the carbon footprint is China. Uh, they bring new jobs. And we're trying that, and then you're, while we're trying that, you're basically selling away uh, all these uh, existing blast furnaces in Pennsylvania, and making, costing uh, thousands of union jobs. I, 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 I was just uh, livid when I read that.
1: Ro, I want to switch gears here a little bit. Uh, we had Sherrod Brown, Senator Sherrod Brown, on the show last week and we talked to him about uh, about yeah he's a super guy and we talked about the the non-union plants the auto plants in the south and he and 32 other senators sent a letter to the ceos of those plants saying hey come on these workers they want to join a union can you at least stay neutral Uh, i i know you're you're a big labor guy and all that how do you feel about that moving forward? I think that tactic is, uh, well, I, I got to admit, it sounds pretty creative, don't you?
4: Absolutely. And especially when these auto companies have uh, benefited from your and my tax dollars, right? I mean, it's they're getting huge funding for these battery plants. They're getting huge funding for electric vehicles. And so we can insist that they should be, neutral when it comes to uh, labor and frankly we should be insisting that these be good union jobs if we're if the taxpayer is going to be footing the bill th- then we need to know that those jobs that are going to be created are uh, jobs that are going to be able to sustain a family where someone's going to be able to buy a house where they're going to be able to have a middle-class life and you know this that when uaw sean feng who's a you know, American hero, what he did, what he did and led the UAW to get the deal they did with the big three, it's not just the UAW wages that went up, Honda's wages went up, Toyota's wages went up, non-union labor benefits when you have union jobs. And so the biggest thing we can do in this country to tackle some of the wealth inequality is to strengthen labor.
1: Rocana joining us in our live line. He's a congressional representative of California's 17th district. I'm going to put you on hold real quick. When we come back, I want to talk about artificial intelligence, something we should all be very concerned with. We'll be back right after this on America's Workforce.
0: This is America's Workforce.
2: It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, Delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running
1: at LIUNA.org. That's L I U N A.org. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. America's workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at
0: IFPTE.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers, Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the US, US Canada, Canada, and, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right.
1: America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org.
0: Now, back to Ed Flash Ferencz with America's Workforce.
1: And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, where you can find more at ulagency.org. Let's go back to our live line and rejoin. Representative Ro Khanna. Representative Khanna is the representative in California's 17th District, which is in the San Francisco or the Silicon Valley area which uh, which we're taking away in central Ohio right now. I, we talked about this in the last show the central Ohio with the Intel plant. We've got Google, we got Amazon. We're uh, we're definitely exploding in central Ohio. I want to talk about I want to talk about artificial intelligence though. And I know you did an op-ed recently and I'll tell you there's a lot of people very very concerned Especially the AFL CIO. If you go to the uh, the national website aflcio.org, they got some facts and figures there. And according to uh, new polling, seventy percent of workers worry about being replaced by artificial intelligence. But there's more. At the same time, Microsoft, which actually got together with the AFL CIO recently to talk about this, and their study found workers. of them would delegate as much work as possible to AI to lessen their workloads. So, you know, it's a two-way street. We don't want it to replace jobs. We want it to help workers. Now, Ro, I'd love to. I mean, you've got a brilliant background. I mean, my gosh, you went to Yale. You taught at Stanford economics. How do you see this playing out right now?
4: Well, I think it's a uh, big challenge to make sure that AI is used to help workers uh, not eliminate jobs. And the piece I wrote in the New York Times tries to make the argument how we should do it. And my art, my point is that there are two ways that you can use AI. One is if all the Harvard MBAs get together and they say, okay, figure out how do we lower payroll and how do we eliminate jobs. Uh, and that often doesn't end up with a better outcome. It, let me give you a concrete example, two concrete examples. How often do you go to the checkout line and you got to do self checkout and you end up calling someone anyway and it's the biggest hassle because you know, half the things don't scan and half the things they don't know the price. Well, right. that's excessive automation or how often are you calling and on hold and you're pressing zero cause you can't get a customer service rep and you're, you know, fighting with the phone to figure out how you get a human voice. so, What we need to do is make sure these tools are used uh, to enhance workers, uh, not to replace them. And what I say is there's got to be a worker committee that is involved in all the decisions of how the technology is going to be used in credentialing, and workers need to share in the profits uh, for the increase in productivity that AI brings.
1: Now, don't you feel that's a tall order? You know how CEOs are. I mean, they want all the money for themselves and their board members, the people at the top. Do you think that there's a possibility of that happening? I guess if enough workers raise their voices, what, what's your thoughts on that?
4: I think if workers raise their voices, I think we can regulate it in Congress to say, look, if you're gonna be uh, making AI workplace decisions, you need to have a, a worker uh, representation in those decisions. And ultimately, I think it's good uh, for, these com- for the company culture because I, I don't think just a massive elimination uh, of these jobs uh, it serves the companies. What I analogized, I said, you know, we can't make the same mistakes with AI that we made with globalization. You know, the story, everyone's going to get cheap consumer goods. It's all going to work out. Everyone will get new jobs. Well, how did that turn out? Turned out fine for some of the companies. Turned out fine for the executives. Not so great for a lot of the workers. And I fear with AI, we, will, we could make the same mistake if we don't have workers in charge and workers making some profit. You know, uh, one thing that I uh, often uh, talk about is Sears. You know, Sears Roebuck used to give every uh, sales representative, every worker from 1920 until about 1970, some equity in the company and by 1968 sales representatives at, at, at sales at sears retired with what's the equivalent of one million dollars in retirement in retirement. uh why can't we do that today we, we we don't give workers any share in the equity and that's what's led to so much of the work of wealth disparity
1: well roe i know there's some profit sharing going on in a number of companies i know in the the big three there was some profit sharing but that's kind of whittled down Fortunately, they have a new contract here, which is a four and a half year contract. But let's go back to artificial intelligence, uh, because there was a lot reported on artificial intelligence in 2023. I mean, that tells me a lot of people are concerned. They're very worried about their jobs. The polling indicates that. I'm just wondering, in your opinion, that there's enough discussion on this issue and, uh, and I'm just wondering, I can only assume it's gonna continue this year until they work something out. How do you feel about this moving forward right now?
4: Well, I think we need to have uh, regulation by federal the federal government. We need an AI regulatory agency like we have the FDA for medicine that makes sure that the technology is not used to spread misinformation, that it's not doing things that uh, could create deep fakes. But the biggest thing I think is on the employment side uh, workers need to have a seat at the table about AI. And you look at two of the the, the issues of Strike 71 I mean, I, where I was with the Teamsters in my state, and they said, y- you don't want to have these driverless trucks powered by AI uh, to, to uh, not have a human on board. And unfortunately, uh, Newsom vetoed the bill, but I'm hoping it'll come back to now. I mean, I, I don't want to be on a truck without an uh, without a human. I mean, you want to be on a plane without a human, they have auto flying, et cetera, but we still need uh, human beings. And the other issue was with a writer's strike where writers insisted that they get compensated in credit and AI just can't go write these scripts. So I I think the labor movement is going to have to be very aware, which they are with the AFL CIO, uh, of AI and making sure they have a voice in it.
1: Yeah, I want to call attention to the uh, the partnership that the AFL-CIO and Microsoft announced. This was in December, and it's a new tech-labor partnership on AI and the future of the workforce. We, we talked with uh, Fred Redman, who is the secretary-treasurer of the uh, AFL-CIO, on this issue. So it, it's good to know that a lot of unions are really getting into this. And I know my union, which is now SAG-AFTRA, Screen Actors Guild, American Federation of TV Radio Artists. They were very, very concerned about artificial intelligence when you had somebody that an aspiring actor or actress go into a van. They do all the whatever takes on what they're going to do for a movie or a TV show. And then they capture them on a computer and then you leave there and that's it. They own you. They own you. Scary stuff there, but it's got to be worked out. All right, we're going to leave it on that note. I know you're pretty busy over there. Anything else you want to uh, want to mention here going forward, Ro?
4: Well, I think the actors and writers' uh, example you gave was absolutely right, and they did a fabulous job. They basically got the studio to agree that writers would get compensated, that writers' work couldn't be used by AI without uh, credit. Uh, and I think that's a model for labor power, for organizing to make sure uh, that AI doesn't just become a tool for corporate executives. I mean, technology is a tool. It can be used to improve productivity, improve worker earning, improve workers' lives, or it can be used to uh, enhance the power of executives against uh, workers and to cut payroll and, and downsize. And I think that the key is going to be that we need legislators saying AI needs to be used in ways that are enhancing workers, and we need labor to be organizing and having power. And the the writer's strike was a great example of it. The Teamsters have been a great example of it. We're putting a round table together February 15th on AI, the leading academics around the world and several folks from the CIO. So uh, I'm trying my part to get workers front and center in the conversation.
1: Well, let's stay on this issue. I love, I love your background. I love what you're doing, and uh, I don't know how you do it sometimes in the halls of Congress, but you're hanging in there. So let's keep in touch on this issue and especially the new economic patriotism, and hopefully we could tear apart that U.S. steel merger with Nippon Steel out of Japan. Your voice
4: matters. I appreciate it. Thank you for what you're doing, and uh, thank you for giving uh, these issues uh, a platform. Thanks for having
1: me. And that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the American Federation of Government Employees. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day.
0: That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.